Hello, hello. Anybody there? Saul? Yes. How are you? Oh, good, good. Uh, I just realized earlier this morning when I started doing the interviews that this is Easter. And I apologize if you had any plans for Easter. <laughs> uh, but here we are. Yeah, I I also realized that when I um, scheduled, when was it? When we, um, so I'm a teacher during the school. So when they were like, yeah, you were like, we're off on Friday. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's right. It's Easter weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, time, time flies. Uh, so listen, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to get to talk to you today because I feel like uh, there's just so, there's such gravity to your poetry. I had the pleasure of reading some of your poems, um, just kind of to, to get a sense of, of where you're coming from. And uh, I was just very much floored by your perspective, your voice, and um, I, I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit today. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Texas, is that right? That is correct. I'm in San Antonio, Texas. Has that always been home for you? No, this has not always been home for me. Okay. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Where, where does family come from? Sure. So my father is from San Luis Potosí, Mexico. Okay. Uh, the state and the city. And then my mother is also from San Luis Potosí, the state, but she's from a small town uh, called Salitrios. Okay. You guys, you guys are neighbors. My family's from Jalisco down there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty close. I think we've gone through there a couple of times, heading down to see family. There's so much history there that you're able to convey in some of your poems. And of course, I, I've, I know that you've written a whole bunch of them, and I, I only got to read a couple of them. But the ones that I, that I read from your website um, just left me feeling like there was just this deep connection with family as there is with many Mexican families. And, um, there, there's almost a brutality to that counters the beauty of what you're saying. Like <laughs> I, I can't explain it, but it's, it, there's a duality there. Do you feel that way about your poems? Or I guess I should ask you, how do you feel about your poems? Yeah. <laughs> your so voice. I, I really like that perspective that you put a brutality to it because I do see it that way too. I see it almost as retrieving history, um, mm. but at the same time, sort of a violence to it. Yeah. 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 And the, you know, as, as you said, with uh, most Mexican families, it's, it's hard when you're trying to trace not only lineage, but also trying to figure out why why immigrate right yeah um and then in the sense of that also realizing uh your different perspectives of identity and where you fall into place within you know society in general right you had this i i have to quote this moment and this this whole poem like kind of broke my heart a little bit where you you wrote in the poem called for my queer ancestors um oh, yeah. there's there's so many moments of heartbreak in that moment but <laughs> You said, if you can read this, I'm losing myself. Mm -hmm. I sat with that phrase, that moment, and it, you know, I know that you were speaking perhaps specifically about um, identity, right? Um, perhaps gender identity, but I felt that in, in terms of the, the family that I am leaving behind or that left me behind, 
And now we are so far removed that there is a disconnection there and you don't know if you'll be able to, to find it back or if you're just kind of grappling with that. And, and that's the one that kind of stuck with me, you know, in the midst of all these awesome things that you had there, (laughs) how has poetry helped you reconcile with some of this grief that you've experienced in your life? Cause from the narratives that you've shared with us in your poems, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So thank you for pointing that out. And, and again, thank you for those amazing uh, comments that you're making about my poems. Um, you know, as, as a writer, it's always difficult to, <laughs> to really let your poems out there <laughs> Yeah, uh, and see if they will connect with audiences. So I'm glad my poetry is doing that. So thank you for that. Mm. And going to grief, I actually didn't know I was writing about grief or trying to mend that relationship or heal in any sort of way. It wasn't until I want to say 2018, 2019, Mm. when I actually realized like, this is what I'm trying to do. Uh, And I realized that very early on when I was doing a workshop with uh, one of my uh, really good friends who's in the writing community, Jesus Peña or mm-hmm. JJ Peña. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to figure out your grief. You're trying to move beyond it, but you have to write it out in order for that to happen. And that's when I kind of took a step back and I was really processing everything. And I also see a therapist. I was telling my therapist at the time, like, is this what I'm trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> she, she was like, you know, I don't have the answers for you, but it seems like unconsciously you already know. So you just need to dive in deep. And when it comes to writing about grief, you know, it can be triggering. It can be quite ex- exhausting <laughs> mm-hmm. just because you are revisiting moments. You are revisiting time. You know, you, you kind of have to set up a whole ritual in order to start writing about these moments again and you know hopefully in a way or or so try and get past them Mm. so when you were younger did you did you speak spanish or write in spanish or were you primarily learning in english when you were a kid i was actually in bilingual in bilingual classes all the way up until fifth grade oh okay so so i was both writing and reading in both english and spanish did you feel a connection to Spanish at that point or did English become the default for you? You know, this is, so I, I went to, uh, I got my master's in fine arts and creative writing at UTIP in El Paso mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it is a bilingual program. Oh, great. And <laughs> a lot of the times I was very taken back because I started realizing that English is my dominant tongue. And although Spanish is my mother tongue, I am not dominant in it. So it was a lot of relearning. I see. Yeah. Does family still speak Spanish then? Like uh, when you were growing up? or Yes. <laughs> yes. We, I still function as a translator at times. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm sure there's some poems about that. And I figured I may write some about translating a whole bunch. But isn't it interesting that it kind of becomes your part of your personality? Where you have to, uh, yeah, it's like uh, Los Viles, you got to translate Los Viles. Yeah, Los Viles, Las Cartas, todo. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Would you say that uh, early on you decided you were going to be a writer or a poet? Or was this something that you started developing later on or, or you started finding this creative language later on in life? You know, this is a really good question because <laughs> I've been asked this uh, a couple of times and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people don't know that I was actually raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, wow. And and we were very dedicated to the church for about 18 years. Mm. I I knew that I did not want to be part of the church or be in it. So as a young kid, I've always started just creating these crazy stories in my head of escape. And now that I'm older, I know that that's kind of trauma. Wow. <laughs> um, but I never actually wrote uh, in paper until about, I would say, my undergrad. That's when I realized that this is what I wanted to do. This is what I was passionate about. I wanted to, to write. And what were you studying in undergrad? Was it writing or was it something else? So I actually started my undergrad as a biology major because I wanted to go into pharmacy school. Hmm. And then two years after that, I quickly figured out that even though I was doing well, it wasn't for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I actually took one gap year hmm. and then I decided to major in English. What happened in that gap year? Like what, what kind of life happened there? Oh, you, it was just trying to figure myself out, uh, trying to see what I wanted to do with my life, where, where I wanted to go. Um, yeah, just, just figuring it out. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, at the end of undergrad, then you, you said, you know what, this is me. This is, this is who, uh, who I'm coming into the world as a, a writer. And, and, um, from that point on, did you focus specifically in poetry or were you still looking at the, the wider picture of writing? I was still looking at the wider picture of writing. It was actually in, uh, I have this professor who I'm, I'm still very grateful to, uh, be in contact with, with him. His name is Dr. Mejia. He's, uh, teaches at Texas state mm. and it was my last year of undergrad and I took uh, Mexican-American literature with him. Mm. And that's when I started realizing that there were narratives out there like mine. And that's what pushed me to, to begin writing, to start exploring these narratives. Mm. Um, specifically, I gravitated more towards poetry because we did read a couple poetry books, including Lorian Guerrero, who is also from San Antonio. And she actually came to our, our class during undergrad and did a visit and a reading. And I was just so moved by her and her experiences being also from San Antonio and the South side. And I was like, this is what, it, what I'm going to try and do. Like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. What does uh, Texas and, and specifically the places where you were raised, how does that inform your poetry? Sure. So the place where I specifically was raised in, in Texas is San Antonio and I'm from the South side. So Pura Mexicana, la raza, like <laughs> pura everyone, raza por allá. <laughs> pura raza, everyone's here. <laughs> um, a lot of first generations, a lot of first for many things, right? And this is this is my barrio. This is what I'm called to. This is the type of narrative that I want to share with everyone. Um, share the experiences that I've gone through, and you know, hopefully, 
my end goal is that I am able to connect with the audience and that they feel the things that I've also felt. But most importantly, to be seen. I feel like that's one of the things that I've always wanted to be seen. And I do write about this a lot in my poetry as well. Yeah. I, I love a sense of place in poetry. And especially for me, I'm a Mexican raised in Wyoming. So we moved from Mexico when I was 10 years old. And I've been in the cowboy state for a long time now. And it feels like for a lot, a lot of years, I, I was just kind of an island of Latinidad. Or, or you know, like I, I needed a little bit more Mexicanada in my life. Right. And so now it feels like I'm doing a little bit of catch up. So I love that you have that built-in community that could back you up in a way. Can you give me a moment when your poetry helped you connect with your community specifically, like a, a moment or an experience where you felt like that worked? Yeah. So I talk a lot, a lot about being a first-generation American and also finding identity. I feel that coming into terms with my queerness mm. specifically you know in the latinx community it, it can still be taken in so many ways by family yeah. um i've known i've known friends who you know unfortunately their family has shut them down mm. others who you know are still working through it and then ultimately you know acceptance yeah. and when i did come out um you know it was a very hard experience for me just because i didn't know how my family was going to take it. Yeah. But luckily being in this area, in this part of the city, I was able to find queer spaces um, at that time for support. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite places will always be the original Saint, <laughs> which was a club, but oh my God, you just would walk in there and you would feel like you belonged. Mm -hmm. You see people like you, uh, bodies like yours. And, you know, it was just an amazing community and amazing space. Oh, that's, that's absolutely great to hear. Was there distance for a time between you and your family um, when, you, when you came out to them? There was some distance. I, specifically with my mother, I feel like mm -hmm. for her it was kind of taken aback just because, you know, mothers are supposed to know everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was shocked by the news. And it, it took her some time to fully accept it. But, you know, we're in a good place now and she loves me and accepts me. And, you know, I love her as well. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. That's really good to hear. Um, so when did you, uh, when did you write your, um, I, I guess you, you had the poem at night, my body waits and then, and then now you have the chat book, but that poem has it been around for a little while? It has, yes. I actually wrote that poem in grad school. Okay. And then it's been through multiple revisions. <laughs> and in fact, the version that's going to be in the chat book is a, is a different version. Oh, I see. Um, it's a different form, I should say, than the one that was published by the normal school. Okay. So how is the original poem in, in, um, informing the collection? So a big part of it is the collection for the chapbook does um, also talks about moment of grief, moments of trauma and identity. And I feel like this poem is the center point for all that of mm -hmm. when all this begins unraveling, okay. you know, it's like, it's like pulling the thread off the shirt yeah, and everything coming undone. 
So how long has it taken to put together the poetry collection in the way that you want to see it? Sure. So the poetry collection has taken me a bit to put everything together. I am a very slow writer. I tend to write one poem and then I let it simmer for about six months to a year. (laughs) And then I go back and revisit it. And then there are some other poems, you know, that just need to come out of you. And those are done fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I am a slow writer. So putting together this chapbook has taken me about perhaps around a year. Okay. And then I am currently finishing up the full collection. Mm, wonderful. Has it been um has it been tedious to go back and recollect? Um, given that these poems have a lot of emotional weight in your personal life, is this something that you have to take breaks from? Is that why you feel like you need to let them sit for a while? Yeah, so it is very tedious. It's it's tedious, you know, in, in the way of organizing, in the way of <laughs> writing it out, in the way of revisiting moments. And I I also tend to ask my my family questions. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I feel like we're all writing this together. I see. And sometimes when I do ask questions, they also need time to think about, you know, what happened back then. Right. Or what happened through this experience. Yeah. And um, it has taken time. And, it, and, it, and it's like I said earlier, I do have my rituals where, you know, I, the day before I sit down and write, I do everything that I love, you know, go get my favorite ice cream, listen to <laughs> my favorite songs, take a long walk. Uh, put on my <laughs> my sleep sounds, you know. Oh yeah, light my favorite candle, <laughs> and then, because I know I know it's coming, right? So you, yeah. you have to do self care before and after as well. Oh, that's that's beautiful. I I not realized the the beauty of ritual, right? And how yeah. it it allows you to empower yourself when tackling something like this. But out of the ones that you've written, do you recall a poem that after you wrote it that? Were you frightened by a poem? Have you been frightened by your own poem? And you said, I can't say this. I can't vocalize this, even though it's here in front of me. Right. Yeah. What what was it? Or or when did it happen? And what did you do? So I want to be, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, The poem that did that for me was Meditation on Grief. Mm. And Oyster Rivers Pages published it. When I first wrote that one, that one went through about, I want to say 15 or 20 revisions okay. until I got to the last part. And for me, that's when I realized my poetry is not only about grief, but it's also haunting in a way. Yeah. And that's when I was like, Ooh, you know, I got like the chills and I had to step back and I was like, is this what I'm writing? Uh, <laughs> a frightening narrative. Yeah. <laughs> And then after that, you know, I just realized like, wow, like this is, this is what I'm doing. Like I'm in a way still haunted by these memories and it's just going to be a haunting <laughs> full collection of poetry. <laughs> right. So do you consider that like a high bar where you say that's the feeling that I had before and I need to replicate it with every poem or is every poem different for you? Does it not have every to po- subscribe to that? Yeah, every poem's different. I would say they all do have some type of haunting aspect to it. Mm. But, you know, each poem wants to be its own thing. I, I as, you know, the writer can't force the poem to be something that it, it doesn't want to be. In a way, the poem 
takes on its own identity as well. And I have to allow it and give it the space to do that. Yeah. Are there poems that defy revision where you say, this was just a moment of, of complete exorcism, right? Or, or something that where it just kind of manifests itself in a way that like you look at it and you say, I can't improve on this. Even if like you step away from it, I can't see it any other way than what it is. Right. Yes, definitely. There's been poems like that. Um, and I call those the, the easier poems because those are the poems that I, you know, can write like within a day, perhaps uh-huh. maybe even a week, a month. And then they stay like that because that's what they want to be. Mm-hmm. And a perfect example of that would be Notes on Sueñitos uh-huh. that was published in Cherry Tree. That one came out and, you know, it, I tried to revise it and it just said, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I am. This is, this is how I I'm going to roll. <laughs> yep. <laughs> No, that's, that's incredible. I always feel like, uh, like there's eureka moments, right. That, that just kind of completely, uh, blindside you. And then you end up with something that it is what it is. So that's, uh, that's super interesting. Now for, for this collection, um, is this one already out or is it about to come out at night? My body waits. This one, this chapbook is coming out this September, I believe. Okay. Um, it won the 2021 uh, prize for chapbook contest with two Sylvia Press. Nice. Felicidades, by the way. Thank you, thank you. And the biggest shocker for me is that Victoria Chang was the one who selected it. <laughs> and I cannot, wow. get, I cannot get over that. Like, I'm still processing her reading my words, just reading in general, like not even selecting it as a winner, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of her. So just yeah. that, I'm starstruck by it. What is it about her work that draws you in? So Victoria Chang also writes about grief and uh, her, one of her books, Obit. Um, oh my God, it, it's just so amazing the different views that one is able to take when grieving. And she just did such an amazing job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first book I read from her and it, was, it just pulled me in instantly. I became a huge fan of hers. Oh, and then cool. with your with dear memory, she also plays so much with images and letters, and you know it's something that I'm like, wow, like this is what poetry can do, mm. and you know go even beyond like trying to tell a story, but like connecting you fully, you're just fully invested in the narrative. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm actually really happy that I'm doing this uh, for National Poetry Month because. The beauty of this for me is that I get to learn about poets that, you know, and I'm a student of poetry. I I didn't go to school for poetry or anything like that. So I'm very much taking in all of these recommendations. And now my reading lists are amazing because we have like these awesome, inspiring creatives that are just out there that you wouldn't otherwise find unless you were in this world of poetry. But are you still the managing editor for Borderlands, the Texas Poetry Review? Unfortunately, I'm the former managing editor now. You're the former. Oh, okay. So can you tell me about that experience, you know, during your time there, what you picked up along the way being an editor? Oh, I loved it. I loved my team that I work with. I love reading submissions. I loved finding new voices, uh, putting together everything, sending acceptances. You know, one as a writer, we're always waiting for uh, a submission to say yes, right or or no, <laughs> but I it's one thing um, 
that made me realize is empowering voices and seeing who's out there, you know, mm -hmm. and relating to a lot of the poetry as well. So just help me out with the hierarchy here. Does managing editor have the final say on stuff or is there, how does that work in, in this particular operation? Sure. So I, I believe every journal is a little bit different. Um, sometimes the editor in chief is the one who makes the last call. Mm -hmm. uh, but specifically for Borderlands, I was the one who said what was going to be the last call. Mm. Um, so what we would do is, you know, if we have over 300 submissions, I send a portion, divide them equally and send them to my editors and then they send them to their readers and then they all read. And then after that, we all join together in a meeting via Zoom. And then we'd start deciding, okay, which ones were the ones that we were most called to. Uh, this is the, the time that I like to call fight, fight for the voices. Uh -huh. And we fight for the poems that we want to include in coming um, volumes. I see. I see. So how long does it usually take to put together a, a publication or a volume? Like in so, Yeah. So uh, because we were putting it together during COVID and there was a lot of, you know, setbacks this one took about a year to put together mm -hmm. uh usually without you know before covid it would take about six months or so to put it together oh i see so covid kind of threw a wrench in into stuff yes covid was <laughs> a a big one in the literary world mm -hmm. and you're an educator too right so how does that affect you as as a as an educator uh on a day-to-day -day basis are you still dealing with covid things right now we are. Uh, I teach at a high school and we're currently still, you know, trying to implement as many as the CDC guidelines. Uh, students are still required to wear masks. We're required to wear masks. Unfortunately, the classroom spaces are a little bit too small, mm. so we can't have everyone six feet apart. We try, you know, yeah. uh, but everyone does have a specific seating chart just in order to trace back contact tracing. Mm. What's the biggest challenge right now for you as a, as an educator? Oof, that's a big one. Um, it would be time right now. I feel that many of many literary writers or writers in general who are in the education field, specifically in public schools, we struggle with time because mm. we want to write. We want to, you know, I wish I could dedicate a whole afternoon to writing or a whole day, but a lot of the times because we're tired <laughs> and yeah. exhausted. Right. You know, it, we have to really manage our time and, you know, decide where we want to invest our energies into. Right. So when you do get a chance to get some writing done, when does that happen for you? It's usually at night and it's about maybe one or two hours. Mm. And I don't have a specific writing schedule just because with my job, I can't foresee, you know, I should be more disciplined. That's what I should do. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, a nap is more, more important. Absolutely. <laughs> for the, for the body. Never, never count uh, out the nap. Yes. But I, but I'm also a writer who writes by lines. And what I mean by that is I could be, you know, walking and then I just hear a voice in my head with the line. Mm. <laughs> and then I, I see write it down in my, um, in my phone. And then, you know, by the end of the week, by the end of the month, I just have all these different types of lines in my, in my phone. And then I just start bringing them out and I rewrite them into my notebook. 
Mm. And then for my notebook, they start, you know, some of them start telling me like, hey, like we want to be together. Or maybe these five lines wants to start making a poem. And then that's how I start creating my poetry. Oh, I love that. It's uh it's something that uh I'm I'm a playwright and uh dramatic writing kind of guy, theater guy. And I've always thought that the process of gathering like that is the most fun challenge of them all where you you yes. just have pieces, right? It's not about yeah. a cohesive thing. You just have a couple of things that draw your attention. Like you have the tree that you saw on your walk, and then you have the story of the person from your family or whatever. And then after you collect a couple, it's like some things just belong together. And then the challenge yeah. is to really make them fit in that world, right? <laughs> Into yeah. that little, exactly. little yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. Are there challenges to that? Like where you feel oh, like yeah. do you get overwhelmed where you just have too many things that don't fit? I I do get overwhelmed sometimes because I'm like, why doesn't this want to work? <laughs> and it's because maybe the story doesn't want to fit in with the lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and another thing is, you know, I could have a, one really good line that I'm like so moved by it. I really want it to work. But the one line isn't there. You know, there's no con- connecting or links to the poem in general or what it wants to be. So I have to get rid of those, you know, and I save them for later. I do have a notebook that, you know, where I cross out lines that I use and then lines that I still have that I can go into like my line bank (laughs) (laughs) and choose lines out of there. (laughs) Yeah. So right now, um, where are you getting your, your poetry from? Like, do you have any favorite literary journals or, or magazines that, that you frequent? Yes, Adroit Journal is one that I frequent often. Mm. Uh, Split Lit is another one that I frequent often. And I want to say those two have been the ones that I've been visiting the most. Mm. And then writers in general, right now I'm reading a couple different writers that I'm inspired by. And then the new writers and that I also want to read their collections. Mm. And I don't sit and read a whole collection at a time. I, you know, I let them linger kind of like my own writing process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I read like one or two poems from one book and I'm like, Oh, this was very fooling and satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then I grab another book and I may read one or two poems and, you know, again, reflect and process what I just read and then move to another one and do the same thing. Right. Yeah. Do we get saturated like by, by poetry when we read a whole collection in one sitting? I don't, think so i think it it just depends on the type of reader that you are mm. and how you want to not visualize how you want to uh you know take it in i feel like yeah yeah it's if it's one poetry collection that i'm really excited about i will sit there and read it uh for example ocean wong's new poetry collection time is a mother <laughs> i still haven't sat down to read it because you know i want to make sure i have the time and the space that i want to dedicate to it so i haven't touched it yet mm-hmm. but then i have other books that i'm like okay i can read one or two poems a day from here and then you know read another one or two from here i see it's about the ex- experience <laughs> yeah i guess it's much like food right where sometimes you you want the dessert something that will yeah. uh, satiate and then other times you just want the three-course meal <laughs> right I definitely so you being an educator do you have any moments in your in your teaching life where a student has taught you something 
that you've you've applied to your work outside of education? Oh yes, a lot of times. Um, I've been teaching now in public education for about four years now, mm. and every single year, I feel like I learn something different from my students. And specifically this year, you know, coming back from a pandemic and <laughs> being in the classroom, a lot of my students are teaching me patience. Mm. And, you know, they're just like, Mr. Hernandez or sir, just you got to be patient. And it's like, you're right. I do have to be patient mm. or don't get angry at yourself. You know, we're, we're coming back from a pandemic. And it's like those things that I have to hear just to be like, they're right. Like, you know this too like why why are you acting funny <laughs> you know it's just, it's just uh those type of things or situations where it's like we have to we have to be patient with our with ourselves yeah and that's a big lesson i feel that i've learned this year that's that's pretty remarkable to hear given how the the newer younger generations are always getting flack for having no attention span right <laughs> where right. they're they're telling you oh well they're all on tiktok and they're doing all kinds of stuff over there and they they don't have a patience to operate the way that we do or that we used to but mm -hmm. their world is a lot newer and faster do you think that do you think that poetry has a place in in this new world that is digital that is faster that is more um immediate and visual than anything we've ever had before Oh, definitely. I feel, I feel that poetry does have a place. And I'll say specifically just because of social media platforms, you know, growing up in the nineties and early two thousands, mm -hmm. as platforms like Twitter, Instagram, uh, even Tumblr before Tumblr, you know, wasn't as hot anymore, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, these spaces didn't exist. So it was very hard to kind of connect, you know, going back to being seen or wanting to be seen or even hearing about other people or writers. It's it's it was definitely difficult. Um living in this today now, like I am just so surprised of how quickly, you know, you, you can access Twitter and have access <laughs> yeah. to so many literary literary individuals, so many writers, you know, and and then the most exciting part is you can tweet them and they'll tweet back to you. <laughs> Do you feel that sense of community on Twitter? Like, uh, like there's support there, like genuine support? Yes, I, I do. And I know this is strange because it's kind of like AOL chat, you know, like you trying to connect with people back when it was a thing, like yeah. going, into these, going into these AOL chat rooms and just like trying to, you know, see, see what's happening and see if you can make friends. Mm. I feel like it's a sort of way like that. Like there's writers that I've never met in my life other than our interactions on Twitter. And then there are some writers that I've met through Twitter that I met in real life. And it's like, oh my God, yes. Like <laughs> we're cool. We're friends. Right. <laughs> I, do, I do feel the genuine support. And, you know, one of my goals is hopefully to, to meet a lot of the writers that I do interact with on Twitter in real life. <laughs> mm. That's amazing. There's something to be said about that community. And, and for some of us, you know, community is a little bit hard to come by in, in some places, but with Twitter and the internet, I mean, everything is just so easy now that you, all you got to do is reach out, right. And just yeah. extend a hand out into the darkness and say, Hey, I would like to participate too. <laughs> I right. would like to yeah. be a part of it. Um, can you tell me about the, the writer's workshop? It was the Macondo writer's workshop. 
Yeah, so Macondo is here Macondo. based in San it, it's based in San Antonio. Mm. And Sandra Cisneros actually created Macondo and oh, founded yeah. it. Yeah, okay. And she you know she gave a space to Latinx individuals in order for them to have a space to be seen, have a space to write, and it is still up and running. So I was uh, able to participate in it. And I found community there as well. I'm still very good friends with a lot of the writers who I've met during that workshop. And, you know, it was just such a beautiful experience. I, I really just was wowed by everything. So for, say, somebody who's starting out in the poetry uh, arena and they want to get a sense of how to collaborate with somebody, how to bring people into the fold, what are some things that you would recommend to somebody who's just starting out? I would recommend finding your writers on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious about this because, you know, I'm, I'm always terrified of just reaching out in general. Well, you know, my Mexicanada, I'm always afraid to reach out and ask for help. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, feel like, I feel like that's just a very Latinx thing, like the sense of prideness. Right. Um, but I've gotten over that fear because writers are so you know we want to help we want to create community yeah we we want to let you know that you're seen that your voice matters and the quickest way to to do that is you know send me a, send me an email send me a tweet mm. i will gladly reach out back to you and there's more than hundreds of writers in the twitter world in the lyric community that will do the same mm -hmm. right no, I think that's uh, that's great to see, and hopefully we'll be able to continue this awesome stuff we got going on in the poetry community. It's one of the friendlier places I've ever been to on the internet, so that's <laughs> <laughs> it's still a surprise, you know. Um, you reminded me with the Mexicanada uh, comment there of something that I've tried to kind of make sense of in my writing, and I apologize I didn't bring this up sooner because we're going all over oh, the place. <laughs> this yes. podcast, we just go back and forth in time, but... <laughs> Talking about machismo in Mexican culture, Latinx culture, is there a way to reconcile that? Like, do you, do you feel like you have reconciled those things in who you are as a person? Because I feel like it's so pervasive in mm -hmm. the way like we Mexicans kind of live life and the definition of being a man is just so ingrained in our culture. Do you feel like at this point in time in your life, you have removed yourself from that? Or do we even have to remove ourselves from that? Ooh, that's a tough question because, you know, as much as I would live, love to say, like, this part isn't in me anymore, it's there in minimal, in minimal parts. Mm. It's something I feel that is so engraved within the Mexicanada culture mm -hmm. that you have to be always aware and when I do say something or, or do something that's, you know, within that toxic masculinity, I quickly just like pause myself, take it back and apologize because I, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was doing this. I apologize. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm still, you know, processing, I'm still learning how to, you know, be more aware and live in the awareness, live in the now yeah, uh, to be able to stop myself from saying comments or just you know acting out of place yeah yeah no i appreciate that because like i said i 
have one idea of how things are. (laughs) And obviously, you know, Wyoming is so weird because it's like the reddest state ever. You know, I'm sure Texas obviously is, (laughs) is up there (laughs) for sure, but it it feels like that's one discussion that I I just really want to ask every Mexican person that I come upon because it's tough to remove yourself from that or to say, do I have enough checks and balances in myself right. to, to monitor that? Or am I just like ignoring what the world is telling me? Right. Do you feel like in your community, that's an issue? Like where, where you're at in San Antonio? Yes and no. I feel like this is an issue that's everywhere to be, to be quite frank. Yeah. I feel that it just ties back to spaces and where we decide to, to move, right. To, well, not move it, not move like physically. Like physically get up and move, but like navigate. What type of spaces are we navigating? Uh, where are we choosing to to spend time at? Right. You know, and this is the issue because you know, as a person who is used to just survival, 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 we have adapted and we have, you know, trained ourselves to quickly navigate these spaces, but also navigate identity. Mm. And it is, I feel like at the end of the day, it is part of the survival culture, but also like we need to be aware of the spaces that we're in Mm -hmm. and what we're saying, because ultimately, you know, if we want change to happen, but we're still partaking in it, then, you know, change is really not happening. And there have been moments where I'm able to educate my family and like, you know, this is why we don't say this, or this is why we don't, Mm. we don't push that anymore because we're trying yeah. to change you know and a big a big one of those is like women's place within um the latinx community right right, right. Uh, you're supposed to be a mother uh you stay at home make sure that you know clothes is washed food's ready things like that and it's something that with my own sister that i try to you know re-tell my parents hey like we're living in this type of world now you know her place isn't just at home like She's able to do so much. She's an individual. She has potential to do all these amazing things as a male can. Wow. That's super interesting. You, uh, you reminded me of more family stuff. So we'll have to talk about that next time. Um, two more questions for you. Cause I want to respect your time here, but if you could let your younger self know something about how things turned out, words of comfort words of encouragement as an artist or as a human being what would you say to your younger self wow um <laughs> a little emotional there sorry sorry i, I get really emotional at the end of these things i'm sorry <laughs> no it's fine um that's something that i've been reflecting on a lot lately i feel that i'm not always giving myself enough credit where credit should be Mm. but i don't know i would tell my younger self you know hey like you don't have to hide as much anymore like you're seen and you know though that they're going to survive yeah Mm. and lastly what have what has writing what has crafting poetry speaking your truth what has it done for your quality of life up until this point? 
it's giving me a voice. And I will say that both metaphorically <laughs> and physically. I, you know, growing up again in in religion that is very cult culture based, cult based, not culture, cult based. Um, we were always, you know, be quiet, be silent, only talk when you're spoken to, things like that. And, you know, as a child and even as a teen, I was always very quiet and silent. And now that with my writing, I was able to kind of liberate that and, uh, and in a sense also heal the past me. And now as an adult in their early 30s, I can happily say that I speak now and I have a voice and I don't stay quiet. And, you know, I fight for the things that I want. And I also am sharing narratives that hopefully connect with my audience and, you know, they also feel seen at the end. Beautiful. Well said, well put. And I think that about does it. So Saul, thank you so much for your honesty, for your courage to do this, because I can imagine that at any point in time, that wasn't easy. And I really hope that uh, I can keep an eye out on, on what you're doing. And I hope to keep up with you. If you have anything else going on in the creative realm, please feel free to let me know. And uh, I, I just am really thankful for your time and for your writing. Thank you so much. No, thank you for giving me the space and this time as well. And I've had a really good conversation with you. And, you know, hopefully we can do this again. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks again, Saul. Cuídate. Igualmente. <laughs> have a good I Easter. <laughs> thank you. All right. I'll All talk right. to you later. And you take care. Thank you as well. Bye.